Good morning, good morning. Uh, we are in The Essentials, uh, and these are, uh, this series we're talking about The Essentials. Uh, some people might call them spiritual disciplines, um, but they are things that, that now that once you're saved, you do uh, to kind of draw closer to the Lord. And, um, and so we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you want to open up your Bible or smartphone or tablets uh, today, you can do that. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and uh, we're going to actually be looking at three different parables, uh, which it might seem like a lot this morning, but really Jesus is just saying the, three, the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, and uh, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know that uh, in that culture it was very common for them to repeat themselves while singing songs or, or even while uh, you know, speaking in the temple. If they repeated something more than once, it was, it was to make emphasis on it, uh, to show its importance. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the parable of lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. Uh, and of course that's in Luke 15. Um, it says... And verse 1 says, Now all the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners uh, with, uh, and eats them. And he told them uh, this parable. What man among you, if he, was, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he has found it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder. to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. Uh, then over ninety-nine righteous persons that need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and has lost one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends, her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I have lost. In the same way, I tell you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said, said, uh, uh, said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided up the wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and, and he sent him into the field to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomachs with the pods that the swine were eating. And now one, one was giving everything to him. Uh, but when he came to his sin, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying of hunger. I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. 
And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him. And he ran and he embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slave, uh, Quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let uh, us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. Uh, he was lost and, and he has been found. And they began to be merry. Okay, we're going to stop at verse 24 today. And so today, there are three different stories, and Jesus is telling these three stories to try to emphasize uh, a, a very simple point, um, and, and I call the sermons today, uh, The Lost, the Found, and the Party. And uh, so when we look at the, the story of the lost sheep, we see this phrase that begins it. Uh, it he says in verse 4, he says, what man among you? Now, that phrase is pointing to how obvious the point he's about to make is. When I was a little kid, we used to have a phrase that we'd say a lot. It was uh, fairly disrespectful, but, you know, we would say a lot. When anybody said something obvious to you, that, of course, you would have known because you're 10 and you know everything, uh, you would always look at them and go, well, duh. Well, duh, you know, of course. You know, I'm not an idiot. I know that. And, uh, and that's uh, essentially, this is kind of a well, duh kind of moment. When he's talking to these guys, he says, you know, who, who among you, if you had you know, uh, 99 sheep that were safe, but you lost one of them, would go look for it. And all the people are going, duh, yeah, of course we'd go look for the lost sheep. Are you kidding me? Yes. Uh, what? I mean, the, the other sheep are in a safe pasture. We would go look until we found it. And uh, our first point this morning is that Jesus was always going to lost, and that is where we should be going as well. When we think about Jesus' ministry, and when we think about the way he lived his life, even at the beginning of this chapter, it, you know, the Pharisees, and the, they're grumbling because he's eating with tax collectors. And that just seemed to be something that Jesus was always doing. He was always eating with tax collectors. He was always eating with Gentiles. He was, he was speaking to women. Oh, my goodness. Imagine a good Jewish man speaking to a woman. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he, was, he even touched leopards at times and, and would and would go spend time with Gentiles. He would heal the Gentile slaves. And, and he'd do all these things. I mean, you know, it just always seemed like every time they were turning around, Jesus was going off to somebody else that you just weren't supposed to talk to. And as we think about, well, if that was the direction of Jesus' ministry, if Jesus was always going to the lost, and if we today affirm that we are followers of Jesus, then where would we be going? You know, where would we eventually end up? If we are following the Lord, then we are going to end up with a loss, you know? And now realize that Jesus, just because he was going to the party of the lost, does not mean he was doing anything that was sinful. He wasn't partaking in the, the things that made them sinful. He was always speaking truth to them. But he always kept going. He always would spend his time. He would always invest in them. And I think as believers, when we're thinking about reaching out to our neighbors and different things like that, you know, there are so many people in our life that can be difficult to get along with. 
and can be difficult for us to relate to, even just because we we're maybe have a different background or something like that. But Jesus never let that stop him. Jesus was always pursuing the lost. Now, the second parable we see this morning is the parable of the lost coin, and we see this woman who is searching her house for something that she's lost. Now, we can all relate to this. I know I've lost things at times. I know Rachel certainly loses things from time to time, and, uh, you know, and I'm sure we all have. And, you know, when I got married, you know, I had to go through marriage counseling. I know a lot of us have done that, and, and they told me a lot of really good advice and different things. Uh, but there was a, some advice that I wish I had the first year I was married, and that is, if your wife is frantically looking for something at the house, it is probably the best idea to get up and help her. Something you should not de- say in contrast to that would be, sweetie, where'd you leave it? Is it, is it in the bedroom? Well, you know, it could be under the couch. I'll lift up my feet, and you can look under the couch if you like. You know, that is... Not the right thing to say. And so, didn't get that advice going into marriage. Learned it very quickly. Um, but <laughs> it was definitely, we've all lost something that was irreplaceable. You know, and you, when you're looking for something that is irreplaceable and it has a high value to you, maybe you start off going around the house and you're just kind of looking with your eyes, oh man, is it here, is it there? No, I don't see it. And then you start shifting around, oh, well, you know, is it in this drawer? And if it goes on long enough, then by the end of it, you are picking up the furniture and shaking it, going, what happened to this thing that I lost? This is valuable. This is irreplaceable. We have to find it. And we see in this passage, in this parable, and in the parable before, that phrase comes up that they looked until it was found. And I would like to ask this question today because we know. I mean, we, we know, even if you've only been in church for a short time, you know Jesus isn't talking about coins. He's not talking about sheep. He's talking about people. And so the question I asked this morning is, who in our life is irreplaceable? Who in our own life are irreplaceable? Who to us would we say, you know, if it takes 10 years, if it takes 20 years, if it takes... Another awkward conversation that I know probably won't end well. Who in our life is worth that? I know my, my mother was not raised in a Christian home. She, her her uh, father was a sailor, and he embodied the worst things that that could mean. And, uh, and my grandmother just really didn't have any time for religion or spiritual things or God or anything of those natures. And so when my mom got saved in high school and later on went to college and got married to my dad, of course they would share the gospel with them, they would pray for them, but honestly my grandparents could not have cared less about God. And certainly they did not want to hear it from their daughter. You know, you, you, you don't typically listen to people that you change their diapers. You know, uh, But they did not want to hear it. And for years and years, and even at times they would be ugly to them. I, I've, I've heard stories where, you know, or something, and they wouldn't invite my parents because they didn't want the Christian people to come. And it was difficult. It hurt their feelings, you know, it really did. And, uh, but then one day, my, uh, my grandfather got a new tennis partner, and, and I, I, I'm ashamed I don't know his first name, but his, his last name was Krill. I always knew him as Brother Krill. And, um, and he was a country pastor in a little country church. And, uh, and my grandfather tried his hardest to, uh, to embarrass this guy. He would say all sorts of 
terrible filthinesses to them and off-colored things and just try to, try to do anything to kind of ruffle the feathers of this country pastor. And, and Brother Krill would just smile and, and laugh with them and just be a good friend. And they eventually became best friends, and, and my grandfather got saved and shortly after my grandma. And, uh, and it was one of those things that as a child, I never knew to not love the Lord. I never grew up around that. And I'm so grateful that my parents didn't give up that they kept going, that they kept praying. And I know each one of us in our own lives, we can think of maybe that brother or the sister, maybe that friend, that coworker, and we'd say, oh man, you know, you know, yes, the, the door is closed right now, but but who knows with time and prayer what God might open for us. You know, who knows with enough love and enough patience what God might show us. And so she kept looking until she found it because there was no way to replace it. That it was valuable to her. And so at our second point this morning is that uh, we continue to look for the lost until they are found. If, uh, if, uh, if uh, salvation is something treasured, we keep, we keep looking for it. And so the, uh, the third parable we see this morning is the prodigal son. And it's kind of a longer passage, and we could spend the next five weeks on it if we really wanted to, because it's so chock full of incredible information for us. Um, but really, I want you to zone in on one verse for me, because I think this relates to the other parables, and it's verse 24. So if you, you still have that in your, your thumb in the Bible, could you, could you look at that with me? It says, for this son, and this is the father speaking, for the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost, but now has been found. And they began to be married. They began to celebrate and began to have a party. Um, when I read this passage, I, I often think about um, my, my sister. My sister, uh, several years older than me, she's about eight years older than me. And, uh, and when she was 18, you know, 10, right, um, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, cancer. And uh, she, she was told, don't, don't worry about it. It's the easy one to get rid of. Right. And so, so you know, uh, my sister, kind of first year of college, had stopped doing college and started doing the cancer treatments. And, and luckily, after doing a uh, couple months of cancer treatments, it, it went away. It went away. And, uh, you know, her hair started growing back. And, and it was just one of those things that, you know, as a 10 year I didn't get it. I was, I was sitting there going, man, uh, you know, if anybody should get cancer, it would be my, my sister. Um, but, uh, and it stayed away, uh, or at least for, for three years. And then, five, and then it came back. And so my, my sister just finished college, and, and uh, we're back at the, the, the Cancer Society there in Atlanta, and we're talking to the doctors again, and they're going, well, this is kind of rare that it comes back, but, but we can do the heavier treatments now. We, we have to pull out the big guns. Um, it's not as likely that, that it will be okay, but, but luckily there is a heavy treatment and we can really give it all we got and, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to see yourself through this. And so I remember her going back in those treatments and just how hard they were on her and how sick she was and everything like that. And, uh, and sure enough, the cancer did go away um, for five months and then it came back again. And finally we came to the uh, Cancer Society where we're talking to uh, the doctors there at the, the, the hospitals, Northside and Lion, 
and they're talking to us and they go, we, we don't have any more choice. We, we've kind of done everything at this point. We're, we are, uh, you know, there is one treatment. It's very risky. It's got about a 20% chance that you're going to survive it. And uh, we really like you a lot. So we, we think it would be better if you went to, to Texas, to Harrison, to do this treatment because they're the best at doing it. But our, uh, you know, uh, but we really think that that would probably be the best for you because you know we've all kind of become very fond of you, you know. And uh, hearing that is you know now 14, uh, maybe going on 15, I'm still going. You know, it just leaves you devastated. You, know, you got your family is just desperate. You're, you're sad. And I remember leaving that meeting, and when we did what desperate people would do, we went and tried to find some alternative treatments. Uh, you know, we went to Canada, tried some stuff, and. And it helped a little bit, and it was it was okay. But we did that for about a year, and uh, and then finally we came back and said, oh, I guess we need to do this treatment. I guess it's uh, the only thing we can do. And what it was was it was a bone marrow transplant, and uh, they needed a donor. And what happened is that the donors, uh, you know, my sister had had cancer for so long that her body no longer fought the cancer. Your white blood cells uh, typically destroy cancerous cells in your body, and because she had had cancer so long, her body no longer recognized that as a danger. And so uh, what they would do is they would actually take the chemo and they burn out the bone marrow inside of her. And you know your bone marrow is what makes your immune system and your white blood cells and all those kind of things. And then they would take the stem cells from a donor and put it inside of her and the stem cells would, would build new bone marrow and essentially there would be a brand new immune system there that would actually end up eating up the cancer. And so that's how it works. So it's kind of like a immune system transplant, if you can think of it that way. Uh, and so my brothers and I were tested because uh, most likely a good fit if you're inside the family. And I turned out to be the, the match. And so uh, and it was a really good match and those kind of things. So we did went to Texas and started doing the treatments. And it's about a 100-day period that you're waiting to see if it really takes. You know, uh, because at any time, the body can reject it and everything shuts down. Um, and so after 100 days, made it through 100 days, they said, hey, this is your new birthday, congratulations. You know, the, the treatment has taken, and now your cancer should start going away. And, and sure enough, uh, I remember getting on the plane and uh, going to uh, Texas, going to that last doctor visit with my sister, and, uh, and getting the opportunity to, to hear that I was gone. Uh, that I wouldn't come back this time, and uh, and I just I just remember at that moment, you know, just how happy we were outside, we were, and it was great because you know, there's at this point there's hundreds of people praying for us. We had this incredible prayer network and everything, and, and you know it wasn't one of those things that when I went back from, from Texas, we, we didn't have to call anybody and go, hey, could, could you pick up some balloons, you know, could we get a cake or something. You know, like, can we have a little bit of a celebration when we get home? But when they heard about the good news that my sister was getting better, they started partying before we got back. Like, we got back to the house and there's banners in the yard. There's people um, just, uh, you know, excited for us, partying. I remember church that Sunday. We were high-fiving and, and, you know, I had this one guy break me in half. He was hugging me so hard. And we just worship so good. We were just so grateful because God had done something amazing 
He'd done something absolutely incredible. And as I think about that story, the reason it relates, I feel like, to this passage is because, well, we can ask the question, why did they celebrate? Why did the why did the, the father in the story of the prodigal son celebrate? Why did we celebrate? It's because my sister was dead. And she was alive again. And when we think about our own salvation, when we think about what God did for us, we think about we have an incurable disease called sin. There's no help for it. The only way you can get rid of sin is if someone who is sinless takes his life out of himself and puts it in you, and his life destroys your sin. That is the only way you get rid of sin. And when that happens in us, in our lives, when that happened in my life when I was eight years old, when that happens in our lives, it gives us something so awesome and so marvelous to celebrate. When that happens in, in a life of somebody we know or somebody that we're around, I mean, I don't know what the proper response is to somebody getting saved. I mean, I don't want to scare them, but I'm just really excited for them. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things that we should be excited, not because a bad person became a good person, but because a dead person became a live person. And God has rescued them, and God has transferred them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son who He loves. And so, this morning, as we're we're kind of wrapping up and we're closing up this, our thoughts this morning on us going to the lost and and even us, uh, you know, us continuing to pursue these people who we know are, are dead in their sin. You know, we know what 1 John says, that he who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. There is no way that anyone can be saved but by the name of Jesus. And so we look at our friends and we go, I have life, and I want you to have it too. And we pursue that. And we show off and we radiate the joy that we have in our own salvation. Maybe it's been years since you've been saved. But I encourage you this morning, you know, spend time reflecting on it. Do never lose that awe and amazement over what Christ has done for you. And when we are in awe of that, and when we are amazed by that, and it seeps into our daily life, the world is going to see it, and the world is going to want it, and the world is going to be asking us about it, and we can share them the truth and the life that comes in Christ. If you would, turn to the next one. Dear Father God, we are amazed for this morning. God, we are amazed that you found us. God, you never you never abandoned us, God. We were lost, God, and you left you left heaven for us, God. You pursued us. You you put up with us when we rebelled and we said, No, not now, later, God. I wanna I wanna send some more. God, I pray this morning that you would restore us to the way of our salvation. I pray it wouldn't become just a main mundane thing in our life, God. It is unbelievable. It's scandalous that you would that you would go to such incredible extremes that a miracle like life, like the life of God filling us, would happen, and that you would go to the cross for us, God. Lord, I thank you for the life that physical life that you you added to my sister's life. Um, God, I, I thank you more for the spiritual life Lord, that you have given her. God, it is so much greater. It is so much more amazing. 
And Lord, I pray that you would bring life into to those who we care about, and those who we know. And God, give us a greater love, and so that more and more people around us would become irreplaceable. In your holy name, I pray. Amen.